You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. If you're new here, uh, I feel like so am I. Uh, I'm, I'm the Minister Sam. I've been in isolation for, uh, it must be almost four weeks, maybe more. It feels like forever. But it's so nice to be back with you worshipping here uh, this morning. Well, I, I wonder if you've been to one of those meals where it just gets awkward. So the main course comes out and so does Uncle Frank's repertoire of inappropriate conversation topics. And you sit there and you can hear, you can just see his mind working and out it comes over his mouth and suddenly the room gets a little bit awkward, people are squirming in their seat and you just can't wait till the after-dinner coffee and to beat as speedy an exit as you possibly can. One of those meals. Well, as we join Jesus here this morning at a meal, we actually discover that it's Jesus who is the awkward guest. And it happens even before the main course has come out. Jesus is invited to dine with the Pharisee, and before you know it, he seems to be going out of his way to offend the host. So while he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him, so he went in and he took his place at the table. And the Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not first wash before he had dinner. Now, you're going to have to delete the sound of your mother's voice at this point. Uh, Back when I was was young... uh, Back when I was young. I'm still young. But back when I was younger... Uh, my mother would ring the bell to say that it's, it's dinner time and we'd all have to congregate from the various parts of the yard or the, the house and uh, we'd come in and she wouldn't even look. Uh, she wouldn't even have to hesitate. It was almost like it was on automatic. Go and wash your hands. And occasionally we might go, yeah, I have. And she said, go and wash your hands. And almost every time we... We would. We're very, I was very slow to learn. Um, but it's, what, what's happening here is not that, as, as Hannah said. Uh, what we're talking about is ritual washing. The Pharisees, they followed very strict rules about how to approach all of life, really. And the washing of the hands was not about getting rid of germs. It was actually about getting rid of sin and the infection of the world. And so the Pharisee was surprised that Jesus didn't do this religious thing. Now, he might not have done it for a couple of reasons. One might be so that he could have the conversation he was about to have. The other one might be that he's making a bit of a theological point. That is, he doesn't need to be washed from sin or the infection of the world. Actually, what Jesus does is he comes and cleanses the world of sin. Uh, He doesn't need to do it. Uh, But the Pharisee looks at him and he thinks, well, if he's not doing that religious thing, then 
he can't really be the Holy One. He can't be the person of God that he's putting himself out to be. He's so lax in his religiosity. And he judges Jesus by what he does and not by who he is. And Jesus calls him out in a devastating dissection of the Pharisee's heart. He names the Pharisee's sin, how it manifests, why he does it, and the terrible outcome. And so what's the sin? The sin is keeping up appearances. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and out of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So give alms to the, uh, those, give for alms those things that are within. And see, everything will be clean for you. So say you're having dinner tonight, you enjoy the meal, and then afterwards you carefully wash up the bowls, but you really just want to get to bed, so you only do half the job. You decide you're just going to clean the outside of the bowls. So you clean them, you dry them, then you put them back in the cupboard. And then you get up the next day, and what's going to happen? You, you, you really don't want to eat out of that bowl, do you? What, what side of the bowl? If you're ever only going to clean one side of the bowl, what side of the bowl should you clean? It's the inside, isn't it? It's the inside. The Pharisees have been busy cleaning their hands and not their hearts. And we're often busy doing the same. It can be easy to be spending all this energy and all this time in seeking to project our religious and moral facade and spend very little time in working actually on our hearts before God. Because in this massively image-conscious world, where it's all about projecting an image, we feel like the place that's going to give us dividends in this, the place uh, that we really should concentrate our efforts and our work is on the image. But Jesus says, actually, it's the heart that's the most important thing. It's the heart. It's entirely possible to have all the form of religion without really knowing God or listening to his words or being transformed by him. You can turn up to church week by week. You can pray up the front. You can do all sorts of things. You can be a minister without growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and being transformed by God. What kind of bowls are you? What kind of bowls are you putting back in the cupboard week by week? The Pharisees are about con uh, concerned about what a person does. Jesus is concerned about, actually about both, but firstly about who you are. What's the Pharisees sin? Being more concerned with outside religiosity than with the person's heart before God. But then he gives an example. The sin is keeping up appearances. How do they do it? Well, they, they're cleaning the hands and not the heart. And he gives a very specific example here. He says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practised without neglecting the others. 
So the Pharisees, they tithe. They give a tenth of everything that they have to God and they're very scrupulous scrupulous about it. Uh, They make sure everything, right down to the herbs, right down to the mint, making sure that it's exactly 10%. We'll get no more, no less. And yet, they're not caring for the poor. And yet they're not loving God. The poor go hungry and they're taken advantage of by the rich, but they do nothing about it. And they're too busy weighing mint. Their careful obedience actually isn't because they love God. It's an exercise in public image-enhancing religiosity. They're bulking up their reputation as moral and good people without actually seeking to have moral and good hearts. But you know, it's, again, it's, it's not just an exercise for the Pharisees, is it? How tempting it is to project to others an image of yourself as a moral and good person. So much in the culture wars of these days is about who is actually the moral person uh, and, and the... the taking the stance, who's, who's morally better than the other. And it's easy as a Christian to be seeking to have a reputation as a, a good church-going moral person. Not so much in the world out there. You're not going to get too much uh, cachet from that, but perhaps amongst each other. Do you ever feel like you're going through the motions? That you're not, you're doing all the religious things, but you're not actually feeling close to God. Uh, Perhaps you need to take time to sit quiet before God instead of busy before others. To rediscover that God actually loves you, not because of the stuff that you do, And so learn to love him in such a way that it overflows to justice and care and a life lived in God's way. Not because we want to impress anyone, but because we've been transformed by God. Well, the Pharisee's sin is being more concerned with outside religiosity than with a person's heart before God. But why? Why do they do that? What's their motivation? Well, Jesus lays it bare again. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honour in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Why do they do it? They're seeking their own honour and glory. Their religiosity is not about God, it's about them. They're more concerned with getting honour and respect from people than to seek the well-done, good and faithful servant from God. Well, again, you're not very likely to get honour and respect from colleagues at work or anything for going to church. Uh, but what about within our church community? Uh, for many people, there's actually a, there's a temptation to use church as a stalking ground for power or, or reputation, as a place in which a game of influence is played, a, a place in which we can impress one another with our piety, as a place in which to seek honour before others and be greeted with respect at Cranbourne Park Shopping Centre. Well, if even a hint of that creeps into your heart, 
then we're very much in danger of the sin of the Pharisees. And if that's the case, Jesus' next words really should give us very serious pause for thought. What happens when we're more concerned with the outside, with the externals, than we are with the inside, the relationship with God? What happens when we seek to use God to give us honour? Spiritual death. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even realising it. You're spiritually dead. But you're like an unmarked grave in that it looks like you're spiritually alive. Now, to really understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to go back to Numbers chapter 19, verse 16, where it says, whoever in the open field touches, and it gives a list of a number of things, but it includes a grave, shall be unclean for seven days. Now, over the last four weeks, I have done a number of periods of seven days where I have been unclean because members of my family have had COVID. I can assure you I am probably the most tested human being on the planet. I am very healthy and well. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like that, in that if you touch a grave, you are ritually and spiritually unclean for seven days and you have to go apart from people and you're actually you're cut off from worship. Uh, just as I haven't been at church for the last what, little while, you're cut off from worship. And so cut off from God. Uh, So you're going for a stroll through the lovely countryside and you feel everything is good and right, but unknown to you, you've walked over a, a grave and suddenly, even though you don't know it, something's got between you and God. That's what the Pharisees are like. They look spiritually alive, but they're actually dead. And so the people who come in contact with them actually become spiritually unclean, from the very people they were coming to to get closer to God. It's horrible. It's no wonder Jesus is so forthright with these people. It's like going to hospital because you're sick, but while you're there, you pick up a golden staph infection. The very place where you're meant to get better is where you get sick. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible, awful thing to have the look of godliness but not have the heart of godliness. And that's particularly true amongst religious leaders. But it's true for all of us. Uh, Perhaps you've known people like that. And over time, you actually see the fruit of that. It bears fruit and you see the damage that's done to churches or to people. Uh, But perhaps you've also felt it yourself. Perhaps you've felt the tug towards the desire for honour and respect, the desire to look holy while you know you're not. It can be such a small step from faithful to Pharisee. Well, Jesus doesn't hold back in his warning to the Pharisees and to us here this morning. We need to take the warning. Well, that's the Pharisees. Now, if you know that the Pharisees are the baddies from reading your Bible, the next group of people, you don't even need to read your Bible to know that they are definitely the baddies. Who's next? The lawyers. (laughs) The lawyers. I wonder whether, as you sat there and heard it read out, you got to the lawyers 
and Jesus started saying, woe, and you were like, yes, Jesus, give those lawyers some woe. Absolutely. Uh, well, now, before over morning tea, you come up to me and tell me all your best lawyer jokes. I should warn you, I used to be a lawyer. <laughs> I used to be a lawyer, and there are many, many well, maybe not many, there's, there's some noble and good lawyers out there. You're going to have to trust me on this. Uh, but they're not exactly what we're talking about here. So lawyers in the passage are actually fine, upstanding biblical scholars who would have had the same kind of respect that you would afford a doctor today. They're the educated good guys. They're fine. They're upstanding. Uh, People look at them and go, lawyer, must be a good person. A little bit different to our own society. So that's who we're talking about here. And so one of them pipes up and uh, he says, excuse me, Jesus. Uh, I don't know whether you know, but uh, when you said those things, you were, you were actually insulting us as well. And I don't know what he expected, whether to, to Jesus to turn around and say, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, well, no, I, I never meant to impugn you at all. Of course, the Pharisees, Pharisees, it's terrible, but you, you are, are quite different. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Everyone... The lawyers are okay. But that's not what he does, is it? It's almost comical. It's almost like Jesus has said, well, thank you for bringing attention to this. He says no. He gives them both barrels. He says, I don't have the passage from the Bible. He says this. He says, woe also to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. What did the lawyers do? They load up burdens hard to bear. When they see God's law, they add to it. So it's, it's kind of like this. It's, God's law says no work on the Sabbath. And they say, well, that's kind of vague, a little bit unhelpfully vague. Now, what we're going to do is, I'm, look, I very helpfully written 1,342 laws, uh, rules, to help you keep that law. Uh, Lots and lots of different ways. If you're ever in in any trouble, you just look it up and you go, oh, no, that's work, I can't work on the Sabbath. Very helpful, 1,200 and whatever rules. And then they look at honour your parents and they say, well, you know, that can be so complex and lots of different circumstances. So you know what, I've very helpfully got 2,463 laws and uh, and made it clear how you can obey the law there. And they load the people up. And it's a load that people can't bear. Uh, Rather than going for the heart of God's God's law, they've gone for the minutiae and and they've just loaded up rule after rule after rule. And what have they been doing? They put the burdens on and they're not helping them lift the burden. They're actually pushing them further away from God. And they're the moral police. And like the Pharisees, they're more interested in what's on the outside than what's on the inside because you cannot legislate the heart. Jesus was interested, actually, in both. 
He said he came to fulfill the law and not to break it. Holiness of life matters. What we do matters, but he also came to ease burdens, not to add to them. What did he say? Come to me, all of you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus was going to come and he was going to take the burden of the law on himself and he would be crushed by it so that we didn't need to be, so that our hearts could be changed, so that we don't have to have rules and laws on the outside seeking to penetrate in. We have a heart that's in line with God that permeates out because Jesus died on the cross. And he took all the punishment of the law and took our sins and made it possible for, him, for us to live for him. See, Christianity is never about moralism. It's about grace. It's about lawbreakers being saved. And you know, God hadn't kept this plan secret. He'd sent prophets over and over and over again, both to call God's people to holiness and to tell people of his grace. If you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, you always get those two, a call to holiness, uh, an expression of God's grace. And so Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed, so you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them and you build their tombs. What's the second sin of these lawyers? Well, they make a show of honouring the prophets while actually killing their words. Now, the lawyers back then, they're the educated elite. They're likely quite wealthy and just as in our day, sometimes the elite, the wealthy, they like to make monuments ostensibly to something else but ultimately perhaps to themselves. But these guys would set up monuments over the graves of the prophets. They're like, the prophets are wonderful. Uh, let's set up a monument over the prophets. Uh, and isn't that... Wonderful. You know, one of the best ways to silence something is to honour it after it's dead because you take over the narrative. That's what the lawyers were doing. And they make this show of honouring the uh, prophets, but in fact they're actually killing their words. And if they're killing their words and they're approving of the actions of their forebears where they killed the prophets to silence them. What did the Old Testament prophets do? Well, according to Jesus, they spoke of his coming. They spoke of a time when the Holy Spirit would be given and the law would be written on our hearts. And if the lawyers were really wanting to honour the prophets, then they'd recognise Jesus and believe in him. Instead, they entomb the prophets in words... Well, actually, they entombed the prophet's words in a flurry of their own words. Building in the marble of moralism a grave that tried to render dead words that were meant to bring life. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you have hindered those who are entering. Well, we're at the table with Jesus this morning. And there's an awkward silence. 
It wasn't really a great dinner party, was it? Or was it? Why does Jesus go so hard at the Pharisees and the lawyers? Is he just writing them off? Well, if you know the heart of Jesus, you'll know that no, no, he's not. And actually, as we continue to read on in Luke and we go to different meals that Jesus goes to, we'll discover that he keeps on having meals with Pharisees and lawyers. He keeps on. Jesus is actually doing what he's always doing. He's seeking and saving the lost. Jesus goes so hard at the Pharisees and lawyers because he wants to convict them of their skin-deep religiosity and sometimes it really takes a real jar to shake you out of something like this. He wants to lead them back to life. And we know actually from the Gospel that Jesus was successful in this. In the Gospel of John, Nicodemus the Pharisee comes to follow him. In the Gospel of John, it talks about many of the lawyers coming to follow him. Jesus was concerned for everyone. An emphasis for the marginalised, but he's concerned for all. Well, what about you? Have you been busy burnishing the outside of the bowl? Concerned to look good on the outside, but you know your heart isn't right? Do you seek honour and respect from others, even while knowing that your heart isn't right. The warning that Jesus gives this morning is really stark. And you could close your ears to it, but please open your hearts to it. It's stark. If that's you, then you're spiritually dead. And it's actually no use going to the law and going to moralism and trying to do good your way out of it. No, what you actually need to do is come to Jesus. Because it's in his grace, his grace alone, that can wash you within. Only he can take away that sin. Only he can give you such a confidence in his love that you don't care what other people think. And so stop the pretense. Come honestly before him. Ask his forgiveness. Live humbly before others. Well, have you discovered yourself a Pharisee this morning? It can be awkward. But that's never the end of the story. There is grace for you. There is new life. There is hope. And there's God's love today, even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you're not satisfied just to look upon us on the outside, but that you want to know us deep in the heart of who we are, that you do know us deep in the heart of who we are. And we thank you, Father, that you love us all the same. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us not to be so concerned with the exterior that we put all our energy into that. Father, we're sorry where we have done that. And Heavenly Father, uh, help us to go to Christ, to be cleansed within again and again, to come to you and to seek you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that is in Christ. 
And Lord, uh, we pray that your words this morning might break upon our hearts, but not break us, but lead us back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.